Issa, Deacon, Deacon, Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. All right, before I like to share objectively from the scripture, um, I like to pray so that, one, my opinion doesn't matter. So if there's anything that's my opinion, you can already, because it has no value to do. What's important is what the scriptures say. And I like to put them up here so that you can specifically see what they're saying. So um, with that, let's pray. Father God, it is such an awesome privilege to be able to talk about you and to be able to share your truths with people. That is a, a joy. That, that is one of my greatest joys, Father. And so thank you. Thank you. Now, you get me out of the way, uh, my stupid sin, get it out of the way. Holy Spirit, do your thing. Glorify your name. Glorify God. Help us to understand the scriptures. And most importantly, Holy Spirit, please, let it be real in our hearts. Regenerate, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, welcome to our Sunday service. This is our Easter service. Um, for our visitors, we do have connection cards. I'd like to be able to at least get connected to our Facebook page. Send me emails. If you've got Twitter, whatever, let's stay connected. I'm, I mean, I'm a local as well. I get around, and uh, no, no one here is going anywhere, right? So, um, And then you can see what we're doing. And um, if you've got any questions, I love to talk about Scripture. Um, as it is, um, and just so you know, for visitors, I'm very anti-religious in that case. Because I love scripture, I love Jesus, but religion kept me from Jesus for a very long time. Because I thought religion is what, uh, was what man had to do, do their little checklist. All right. So, scripture is life to me. Because I met Jesus not in a church. So what I'm going to share is life. It is why we exist. Um, and it's very, it's, it is the most important stuff to me. And of course, as Christians, we don't check our brains at the door. We use our brains. God gave us these brains to help embrace his word. So with that, what I want to talk about, the first service, we talked about the historical fact and the evidence is pointing to Jesus' resurrection. There's enough history to know that the dude died. There's a dude in history who died. But there's also enough historical evidence, documented evidence, of his resurrection. And uh, that is all recorded, by the way. We record the sermons. They're put into podcasts and then put online so that you can hear them during the week. I drive a lot, so I, I have hours of podcasts. And you don't need the mountains and the radios. You don't have to worry about that. You can always hear it. So, a little commercial for that. But spiritually speaking, this is where the rubber meets the road. This service, we're going to talk about the importance of why Jesus had, had to be raised from the dead. Everything hinges on this day, more than Christmas, more than any other holiday. This is the one that gives Christians their power. This is the only reason the Christian religion, so to speak, has survived is because Jesus, who is God, nothing can kill God. 
Right? Nietzsche can't kill God. Nobody can kill God. No dumb idea of a politician or a lame scientist can kill God because God made it all. Right? God made that scientist who thinks he's smarter than God. God made him and is holding his little brain together. Right? God is awesome. And God beat death. And by the way, if you watch The Lion King, Circle of Life, death is not your friend. Death sucks. Jesus killed death. And in the last day, death will be cast into hell. And no more death. No more suffering. It'll be done. That's the victory in God through Jesus. And here's 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus. Now, I'm about ready to put up some Bible verses. Boom. So, if, that's, if you can't read that, there are some Bibles in the back. Um, it's all from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Alright, and that's what we're going to be unpacking, and I'll read it to you, so don't worry, because we're going to spend some time in here. I love the Scriptures, because the Scriptures tell us so concisely what it's all about. So here we go. I'm going to start at verse 12 and go 12 through 19. Um, And here's the big deal. Paul is an apostle, and he's writing to the church because people are saying, Jesus didn't really come back from the dead. And matter of fact, When we die, that's it. We just go into an oblivion, and who really knows what happens when we die, right? Who really knows? God knows. Jesus knows. Jesus told us, so we know. So Paul Paul had people in those early days who were like, well, who really knows, right? They're giving them those lines. So all of chapter 15 is all about yes, We're all going to be, after we die, we will all be held accountable to God. So I know you think you're experiencing life right now, and it's pretty clear, and, well, I'm here, I'm experiencing this, right? This is the shadow, this is the shadowlands, as C.S. Lewis called it. There's a day when reality to you and I will be so much more clearer. All right? A lot of us have corrective lenses in this room. I'm wearing contacts. At night, we take off our glasses, our contacts, and how great's our vision, right? It's not so hot. But when we put in our corrective lenses, it's like, what? Leaves have details? I thought it was just a big green blur, right? That's kind of like, but more in heaven, it's not a cloudy mysticism light wackiness. It's reality real. Real reality, not hindered by a sin-cursed body in a sin-cursed world. It's way juicier than that. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, Paul's trying to tell them, yes, we will be raised again. There is a resurrection of the dead for everybody. The ones going to hell will be raised to life, and the ones going to true life will be raised to life. We're not done with these bodies. So that's what Paul's getting at. And he says in verse 12, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. All right? Paul is pulling no punches here. And I just want to look at some of these amazing things. First, he's saying if there's no resurrection of the dead, period, then Jesus hasn't even been raised. He said that twice. Okay, And then he went on to say, our preaching's in vain, and your faith is in vain. Now, I want to unpack this word faith for a moment. You'll hear politicians on both sides of the camp say, well, let me talk about my faith for a minute. I like to blah, 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 blah. Good deeds, good deeds, blah, blah, blah. Right? And then, but faith is this genu- is this ambiguous, mystic- mystical word of, of like, well, that's just my faith, and you got your faith, and he's got. Wouldn't you like a faith too? It's not like that. See, faith is knowing what God says and believing in it. You can't have faith if you don't know what God says, because it takes information into your brain to go, got it, faith. Right? So when we're talking about faith, it's connected to the preaching. The preaching, not bringing preachers preaching, but people informing other people about what God said. So then our preaching or informing other people is in vain, and thus your faith is in vain because your faith is relying on the information. Okay? So in other words, you can't say you have faith in the Bible if you don't know what it says in the Bible. Okay? It's just factual. So then he says, even the preachers, he's saying then we're found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So he's saying, listen, we're liars. If this isn't true, if the, if the dead, he's talking about us coming back to life at some point, the resurrection of the dead, if we're not coming back, then Jesus isn't coming back, and we're liars, your faith is in vain, our preaching is in vain, And then we jump down here. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now, here's where it gets sticky wicked. Every one of us in this room at this moment could say, I'm not perfect, right? Okay. God will send us all to hell because we're not perfect. Let me get that perfectly clear. God is perfect. Jesus Christ is perfect. Perfect. The requirements to go to heaven is absolute perfection. Well, I blew it. I blew it this morning. I blew it on Easter morning. Rats! Okay? We need to understand that not perfect and sin and evil are synonymous terms. They all mean the same thing. So if we're to stand before God the Father and His throne... I used this illustration this morning, and God says, why should I let you in my heaven? 
I'm not perfect, but I tried my best. Goose egg, wrong answer. What did you do with my son Jesus? I used him as a swear word. Wrong answer, right? That's all the wrong answers. That's very insulting to God. We're going to come back to that in a second. But if Jesus, back to this Jesus here dying for our sins, we all know that when Jesus hung on the cross, the fancy term is imputation. Is It's an accounting term, which means while Jesus is hanging up there, perfect life, God credited to his account a perfect life, your imperfection, your sin, your evil was credited to Jesus' account. And at that time, God the Father, who is good, which is actually, that's the character trait we all hate the most about God the Father, is He's good. We hate a good, fair, just God. Ugh! Because that means we're held accountable to our evil. Right? We want a God who's just going to, no, I just, I, I don't see none of your sin. It's okay. No. A good God has to, is obligated by his own law to execute justice on anyone who's ever broken his laws. Or he's not good, right? If a bad guy goes to a court and the judge lets him off and we all know he's a bad guy, what do we do? We get mad, mad at the judge, mad at the system. No no injustice gets by God. Unfortunately, including ours. So, In that time when Jesus is on the cross, God imputes to him our evil, right? And then God's wrath comes down on him. And even in the scriptures it says from the ninth hour to the twelfth hour, something like that, even the skies, it was was sunlight, the skies grew dark. Because at that moment, God the Father could no longer look at God the Son because of our sin that was on him. And God's wrath assailed him and killed him as a sacrifice. Because the, what, what is the wages of sin? Death. Sin must be punished with death. All right? It is what it is. So that's why he's saying, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, on Easter Sunday, when Jesus raised from the grave, he defeated death, he defeated everything, and now anyone who puts their trust in him, and again, I want to isolate something here. I'm not talking about our church. I'm not talking about religion. So if you never come back here again, I don't want you to forget what I'm about to tell you, because the the only way you're ever going to get to heaven is if you take this piece of information and... Believe it, believe it, rely on it, trust on it, depend on it as the only way you're ever going to get to heaven. This is it, right? I'm not going to ask you to come forward because that's not going to save you. I'm not going to ask you to do sinner's prayer because that's not going to save you. You need to yield to what I'm about to tell you, all right? Is when Jesus was raised from the dead on that third day, what happened is for anyone who trusts in that work, Jesus' righteous life will be credited to your account. Do you see what's going on? First, God takes your evil nastiness, credits it to Jesus' account, and Jesus pays your fine. He dies the death you and I deserve. Three days later, he's raised from the dead, 
And what gets credited to your account is the righteous life Jesus lived. So not only are you forgiven, but God the Father can legally, in a court of law, declare you, boom, not guilty. Do you get it? When I go before God the Father, I don't want Him to look at any of my life. My life's a joke of a nasty mess. I want Him to look at Jesus. And I want God to say to me, not guilty. Right? I don't want you to judge my right and wrongs. I don't want that. I want to be under Jesus. When I, when I stand before the throne of God, and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? It's because Jesus died for, for me. Jesus is the one. I'm going to hide at the throne of Jesus. Him, Him. I'm with Him. Only Him. That's everything to me. And what that means is in one of our songs, No Guilt in Life, No Fear in Death, as we sang that, is even our guilt is gone. I, can, I know that I can sin and then know that Jesus died for that sin. And I'm free. And I don't have to carry the guilt. There's one thing to go, man, what? Sin, you know? But here, I'll do a confession. One of my sins is swearing. Not in front of people, but when I'm out working on stuff. Right? The curse of the world, building something, that'll make me sin. Right? Slam something. And, I mean, words that I thought I was done with. Right? And then, you know, and swearing is a sin, by the way. Especially blasphemy using Jesus' name in vain, um, regardless of that. But to know in my heart that that's still bubbling in there, right? And it comes out when going gets tough. It's like, and then I get mad at that and want to swear at myself for swearing, right? And it just goes on. So, (laughs) So there's my confession. But I want you to grasp this, that there's not even guilt. The thing about trusting in Jesus is that Oh man, I blew it again today. Yes, you did, and, but Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. You can't fall out of grace because you didn't earn it. Jesus earned it. Jesus paid the past, Jesus has taken care of the present, and Jesus will take care of your future. It's all in Jesus. Not by works so that no man can boast. So that's why I wanted to hang my hat here for a minute and talk about still in our sins. That's why it's important that Jesus had to show that he's God and beat death. And then he talks about then those who have fallen asleep, died, um, are, have perished. This is if it hasn't happened, then even the dead have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because as Christians, if you think of all the people who are like missionaries, we got missionaries on our board, on our bulletin, that suffered many things. They go to different lands, they're suffering because their day job is talking about Jesus. Um, Whatever, man. Come to America, get a good job, listen to Joel Osteen, you're all set, right? He'll take care of you. He's got a great gospel message. No hard things. Just keep working up your own mystical faith and pretty soon you'll have a new car. Well, hey, that's a pretty good religion. Right? That's not Christianity though. Because Christianity is about investing in the next life and getting ready. This is the prequel to what's happening. In a book you have the prelude, right? The prologue. That's what this life is. And Paul's saying if none of this is true, then Christians... 
whatever, go do anything else. But don't be a Christian if Jesus ain't raised from the dead. Got it? How's that for deep stuff? Now Paul writes in 20 through 26, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is where it gets awesome. Okay? Jesus is the first fruit. So Jesus rises from the dead. And what it means by this is, if you want to know what's going to happen to that Christian who died and is buried up on the hill, is he's going to come out of the grave just like Jesus did. Except, well, Jeff, you know, there's bodies up there. They're dust. There ain't nothing left. God made Adam and Eve out of dust. Right? God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. He created the universe just by saying, I'm going to make a universe. And there it was. No Big Bang, nothing like that. Nonsense, anti-science. The real science, design designer, purpose, purpose giver. God creates. And Jesus rises from the grave. And those who believe in Christ will raise up. All right, Our soul will never sleep. I don't believe in soul sleep at all. That's nonsense. We're going to go from here to insane, awesome consciousness. And the party begins. Right? I'm sure it's like that. And then, in the last day, when God takes the sin out of the universe and rebuilds it, we all get Superman bodies. How do we know we get Superman bodies? Well, look at Jesus in the New Testament. He had a Superman body. He could phase in and out of walls, right? But he could still eat food for the sheer pleasure of it. He hugged his disciples in the first service. He hugged the first person he touched was the women of the group, and he hugged her who was crying at his feet, realizing he had raised from the dead. He was tangible. Thomas put his hand, touched Jesus' scars, and put his hand in his side and saw the scar. Amazing stuff going on here. I want to pick on one last thing. Remember how I picked on the Lion King? Circle of life, blah, blah, blah. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is not your friend. Forget the circle of life. There's one life and then there's real life. That's this biblical understanding. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 and 28. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted um, who put all things in subjection under him. God the Father it's referring to. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be an all in all. If you ever to read the Westminster Catechism, and I'm training my kids on this, the first of all of them is what is the chief end of man? And it's two things. To love God and enjoy him forever. Well, that, that's pretty good. Can you think about that for just a second? All your life trials, all the struggles, 
Your coming into existence has one purpose. To love God and enjoy Him forever. Well, well, that, that, I like that. That gives my life some meaning. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't that a great, great promise? And that is biblical. That is the greatest command, which I always put in the bulletins. Now let's make this even more personal. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I just want to unpack this. This is what Americans really don't like. It's this exclusiveness. That, well, what about the other religions? Can't, you know, isn't it all nice? And really, isn't Jesus just another interpretation of Buddha or, or Allah or whatever? No. Jesus Christ is God. No other religion. Listen carefully to this because this is factual. No other religion ever says that you can't go to heaven on your good works. Every other religion says you can go to heaven on your good works. Every single one of them, except that pesky Bible and that pesky exclusive Jesus who's trying to tell us all we can't do it. God himself came down to provide a way. Sorry that's not good enough for you and your inclusive ways. Do you understand? Only Jesus is saying that. And that's why people hate him, because he's the only one, the only God, that came down there and made the path for us. No one else did. No Allah, no Mormon, no Jehovah, none of the other cults or religions, which are even hundreds of years after Christ, has done this for us. And I want to make sure you understand that. Nobody else. Jesus is the only way. And the question is, why don't even we want that? You know what? God wasn't obligated to give us Christ. He's obligated to give us justice, not mercy and not grace. Right? Mercy and grace is defined by what He owes us, if you think about it. Are you trusting in Jesus as your only way to God, as the way you're going to heaven? Because if you believe anything else... Or if you believe, I'll do this, but i got to do this ritual and that ritual. i got to do the hokey pokey. i got to make sure I flap my arms like this, and then I'll go to heaven. Well, no, Jesus Christ plus nothing. So I want to make sure you understand that you can't add to it, and you can't take away from it. It's a work of Christ. The only thing you can do, and again... Only the Holy Spirit's working in your hearts, or it's not, or He's not. But if the lights aren't turning on in your head and in your heart, wait a minute. You mean you mean to tell me I have to rely on this work Jesus did to get to heaven? I have to trust in that, and that alone is the only way I'm getting to heaven. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The most tragic thing you could do is leave here today and go, well, I did my cultural duty, Easter, I visited a church, life's good. If you leave here and that's all you got, you're missing it. And I'm terrified for you because that means the Holy Spirit's not working in your heart. That means you left here going, religion, whatever. Right? Indifference is the most insulting thing you can do to God. Uh, I'm almost done here. Hang in there, boys and girls. I want to give you this warning, though. 
Out of Hebrews chapter 10, 29 through 30. God takes the death of his son very, very seriously. And I would imagine us dads in here, um, anything happens to our child, right? After we try to hold our wives back from destroying whoever it was, even if it was a misunderstanding, then we come in, say, wait a minute, all right, let's look this right. Right, we're ready to be in there. But here's what the scripture says. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, imputation, declared righteous, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Look at this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right? Let me just unpack this a little more. What really hit me this time as I read this was outrage the spirit of grace. Let me refresh this. I always mess it up, though, every time I say it. Grace and mercy is based on what we deserve, right? Um, We deserve justice. God um, is obligated to give us justice. He is not obligated to save anybody. He's not obligated. He's doing that out of his love and compassion, period. He's obligated to give us justice. So thus, when we say God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve... God's mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. So you understand grace and mercy is defined by what we deserve. All right? So, and that grace and mercy comes through us with the Holy Spirit. So if a person says, well, that Jesus thing's too inclusive, that religious stuff, it's just not me. I'm just not that. You are now outraging. The Spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit that's in this room, plugged into people right now, the Word of God being transferred to you right now about how we can know for sure not only we're going to heaven, but the meaning of life, the purpose, everything is in this information. And to go, whatever. Is there a game today? Baseball? Baseball season, right? I'm going to watch baseball, right? outraging the spirit of grace which is giving us what we don't deserve all right and i don't want anyone to hear to meet god based on your good works so i am pleading with you please through the power of the holy spirit get it john 12:48 the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Do not be standing before the throne of God and uh, saying, "Uh, I know you're at Easter service on that particular Sunday morning and the gospel was clearly given, the Holy Spirit was working, and you said, right? That's always the wrong answer. Those words will hold us accountable. So here it is. Jesus... Do you really know him? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe, the works that I do in my Father's name bears witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Anyone know how long eternal life lasts? Okay. And they will never perish. They will never perish. Eternal life, never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. That is a warm fuzzy. That's crazy good. Um, I absolutely believe that once saved, always saved, and I will take on anybody who denies it because they deny the scripture. Um, He gives them eternal life. That's why I mentioned you can't have eternal life and lose it because then you never had it to begin with. Right? Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins now. And they will never perish. Not conditionally perish. If you fail and mess up, oh, you blew it. You're perishing now. No. Never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Furthermore, my Father has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Do you see, like, Jesus grabs you, hugs you, God grabs Jesus and you? Nothing! Nothing! Even your own stupid sin could ever stop Jesus from loving you and God loving you. Ever! Because God wins all the time, every time. Amen. Yeah, that's, yes. that's a great way to end. That's the Jesus that saved me and that I follow. Do you know that Jesus? Let's pray. Father, uh, this is Easter where the king and ruler of the universe is alive and has victory over all of creation. And in this little church in Pawpaw, that's who we love. That's who we worship. That's who we serve because he saved us. He loved us. He rescued us. He's forgiven us. And now uh, we belong to you. So, Father, for this service, may everybody know this hope and live the life that you have planned for those who belong to you, a life of victory and glory. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. From Bibles websites to theology, apps to blogs, there are so many fantastic resources for Christians. Get the latest news and reviews on what is out there to help you grow in Christ. TheSpeakingDeacon.com Truth is here.